Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. It's prospect season at Baseball America. We took a little took a little break uh, after the World Series podcast-wise, but expect to be a little bit more consistent here uh, as we get through the holidays and get through prospect season. Prospect handbook goes to press uh, in a, just about a month, J.J., so one month with the Thanksgiving holiday thrown in there to finish the book, to write up the 900 scouting reports. But the top tens are starting on BaseballAmerica.com, and uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, our fans have expressed, our readers have expressed their passion for our lists already as we've completed the American League East and we're on to the American League Central. And we're going to talk American League East. We can touch on the American League Central since I did the Twins and JJ did the Royals. But we'll probably have uh, another we'll probably podcast. Focus, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll probably... have another podcast focusing on that coming up. Yeah, we're going to focus a little bit more on the American League East uh, this time, uh, reviewing the top tens that were. And, uh, J.J., one thing we've already, like I said, uh, I just hinted at, uh, some controversial rankings if the blogosphere is to be judged. Uh, if and, I, I and the, and the chatosphere. That that's right. That's right. On the our chatos- own site, we've seen on the chatosphere there's been a... Yeah, uh, well, the comments are back. Uh, we had some technical issues with our comments at BaseballAmerica.com uh, this this uh, summer, basically during baseball season. But the comments are back <laughs> now. Timing, but- which is not bad, actually. It's actually not bad to have it back for this time of year because this is really when... Most of the time we're trying to report. These are actually more opinionated uh, things we're doing here. But uh, let's just jump right into the American League East. I mean, the, obviously the American League East is a pretty fascinating division. I think that the best team in the American League East still has the best farm system in the American League East, and that's the Rays. Um, and not just because they still have David Price, but you know, the Rays have got young pitching. They still have athletes. They have up the middle guys, a couple of shortstops in their top five with Tim Beckham and Reed Brignac. Um, they have guys in the upper levels. They have guys in the lower levels. Their top ten is really a a, a nice uh, portfolio of different kinds of players. JJ, I think I, I like their talent best. I also like how that talent is spread throughout their system. They're not the number one farm system anymore, but I think they're the top farm system in the American League East well, still. And having the prospectively the number one prospect in all of baseball doesn't hurt. I mean, they, Correct. if David Price is not going to be number one, I promise you he will be not for He got one and two right here in this division, in my mind, right. Price and Wieters. Right. It's going to be one or the other. I think and so. And so, you know, at worst he's number two, and the reality of it is is that the Rays are in a great situation. They have a starting pitcher who you look at and say, okay, this guy's ready. You know, yep. like, I mean, at worst he's – an April May tune up away right, right. from being in your rotation, and the reality is, is when he's ready for the rotation, well, you know, then they've got, you know, someone unless someone gets hurt, they've got to move someone along because they already have five guys, and then you have sitting at number ten, you have Jeff Neiman who is about as ready as a minor league pitcher can be, right, right. But the reality of it is, is he'll probably never you know, be a starter for the Rays, barring it's, injury. It's hard to see him being a, a contributing, consistent member of the Tampa rotation because he's like seventh, maybe eighth in the pecking order. I mean, they have the big five, five big league starters, plus Price, plus Mitch Talbot might be ahead of him in the organization because he can actually relieve more effectively than Jeff Neiman can. And, I think Neiman's ahead of him as a starter, but and he threw 149 innings. And, that's, this not, year. That's, a and that's not counting Wade Davis. That's not counting Wade Davis. That's Who's, eight. <laughs> he might be eighth or ninth in the and pecking order. Let's go. Say at the end of next year. I mean, there's some question, with Jeremy Hellickson. You know, as far as okay, will his advanced approach mean that he kind of his stuff is good, but you right. know, not blow you away, David Price stuff. But by the end of the year, 
he could be ahead of Neiman also yeah. and ready for the big leagues. I thought that would be actually a good way to approach the, the top tens as we were just sitting here talking about it off air, air quotes, uh, John McCain air quotes thrown in there. But uh, on air, to maybe attack it as, let's look at the most controversial guy in each top ten. And I think Jeremy Hellickson is one that you and I also have talked about during the year, and mm-hmm. you did the Florida State League top ten. So you can really talk, I think, about Jeremy Hellickson. But he's at eight, and uh, that seemed to engender some controversy right. on- online. And I-, I like the placement of him at eight because I love Nick Barnese, and I love Matt Moore ahead of him as young. But much I- both those guys have significantly more upside in my mind. Than Jeremy Hellickson does. It, it's always that balance. I mean, and when we yeah. rank these, let's you know explain right away. Yeah. The balance we're trying to strike is you're looking for upside. You're looking for okay, five, ten years from now, which right. guy are you gonna look back and say that guy was? You know, you you want to find stars. Stars are much more important. Want to find stars and balance that with likely big leagues. But you also yeah. don't want to have the guy that you look back ten years from now and go, man, that guy never made it above Double A. Right. Why did we pick that guy? Like Reed, Reed Brignac at number four. I think a couple of years ago, we thought Reed Brignac when he was in the Cal League looked like he could be a star. Now, now? I think we think he's going to be basically a better hitting left-handed hitting version of Jason Bartlett. He's not going to be a star. Jason Bartlett's a below-average offensive player. I think that Reed Brunette will be a solid average big league offensive player because he does have real power from the left side. I mean, not above-average power. But he got solid average, if not a tick right. above, power. He was leading the International League as a 22-year-old in doubles at the time he was promoted to the big leagues. He went 0 for 10. His confidence was really not very good when he came back down. He also had a wrist injury that cut off the last month of his season. But he's at 4. I don't think he's going to be necessarily a big league star. Like Matt Moore could be. There's even a chance Jeremy Hellickson could be. But let's talk a little bit about Hellickson, JJ, because what, so, what his placement here is. It, we could have definitely been more aggressive. You with could. Him. I mean, you could. You could argue Jeremy Hellickson if you wanted to. You could argue Jeremy Hellickson four on this list. You could absolutely. I, mean, you could. I don't think anyone could argue you put him above Wade Davis. Yeah, you I would go, not put him above Wade Davis. No, no one would probably argue that. But you could argue you've got. You know, if, if you don't have it in your top ten in front of you, you know, while you're listening to this, you got Reed Brignac four, you got Desmond Jennings five, you got Matt Moore six, you got Nick Barney seven. You could argue four. The reasons, I mean, the hesitation with Hellickson is not. I mean, statistically, he had a very good year, especially right. he was absolutely dominant when he was in high A. When he went up to double A, he was very good. I mean, yeah. he got hit a little bit more. Gave up. I mean, the one big concern statistically was gave up a ton of homers. Yeah, the strikeout, the walk is unimpeachable. I mean, it was eight to one basically. Oh, and, to, and from talking to, to scouts, you know, that we've talked to, from talking to managers who mm-hmm. saw him in the different leagues, his command is, you know, he he has some of the best command that you will see in the minors. That's what it sounds right. like, and that's I mean, and he's and he's also got good stuff. I mean, he's not just a pitchability guy; he's a pitchability guy with some stuff. It sounds like it's actually a little bit less pitchability, though, than you would think. Right. It's He throws a lot of strikes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he has a great feel for setting up hitters, a great feel for pitch sequencing maybe, and that he's prone to elevating the ball. And that's that's that the one to me. Six that foot, six foot one right-hand pitchers. To me, that's the, the big concern yeah. is that, you know, the concern is, okay, his stuff is – and let's make it clear, his stuff's good. I mean, we're not talking about – 88, 89, you know, with a below average breaking ball. You right, know, we're right. not talking about that kind of guy. We're talking about really more like 91, 92, 93. He'll run it up there a little bit more than yeah. that at times, but that's really kind of where it sits. And the concern is, though, is, is okay, if, you, if you're pitching like that up in the zone, that's the kind of, I mean, 
those guys a lot of times have a little trouble. I mean, the guy I think of now, he was lefty, but I, I covered, you know, the before I came to Baseball America, I covered the, the Braves system mm-hmm. for a couple of years, for several years for a newspaper. And Bruce Chen was a guy hmm. who had a good fastball. I mean, not 97 or anything, right, but right. a very good fastball. Thought, you know, had several pitches, but he liked to pitch up in the zone. Gave up a lot of homers in the minor leagues, and when he got to the big leagues, you know, and I'm not saying that I think right, Jeremy right. Helks can be better than Bruce Chen, right. but there is an adjustment period, especially if you like pitching up in the zone, because big leaguers hit 93 mile hour fastballs, big yeah, leaguers hit 97 mile hour fastballs. You yeah, know, yeah, you just can't get away with as much, and that, I think that's the big question for Helixson is that he's not when he does he's not getting away with a lot in the minor leagues when he's missing when he's making mistakes, he's getting punished. That's the thing about the 22 home runs given up. Uh, that that scares me a little bit. And again, we've also talked to. I mean, I know I've talked to at least one scout who's not necessarily high. Again, on this kind of his pitching IQ, for lack of a better. Although word. I've heard and I've heard differing reports are, on that. I, I, I you know I talked to uh, maybe it's more of like an aptitude right kind but of I, question that that scout I did had. right. I did talk to some guys in the FSL though who who thought you know no. I mean you know we're impressed. I mean especially the thing that really jumps out is at high A, and this is why he dominated high A. Yeah, there aren't a whole lot of pitchers at high A. Who feel comfortable, whether it's you know o o o two or three o, throwing all their pitches. Yeah, that, and that's and Helixson that. has that comfort level, and if you can do that at high A, you're going to dominate. I think it's really, uh, and the thing is, you know, also one caveat to go too much into the stats, Vero Beach is really a hitters a home run ballpark in the context of a real pitchers league. It almost stands out even more. So, and and one other thing to think of that. A home runs that really concern. But me but more. one thing with that is it's fine. And I haven't really. I have to be honest. I haven't studied this. It did seem like this year, though, just on first glance, that Montgomery also was prone for home runs. Like if you look, I mean, the thing that jumped out for me is David Price. Yeah, give us some. Homers, David give up any homers in high A. Didn't give up any homers in Triple A. Gave up one homer in the majors. But then in 57 innings in Montgomery, seven home runs. Yeah, no, you're right. That's so I, I, you know, I do also think that there, you know, that may play a little part of that. But well, that's that, that, I mean, Helixson was kind of a lightning rod in that organization's uh, top ten. Uh, we could just go to Toronto. We could go to Boston. Where do you want to go? Let's see. Well, let's try. We were talking about. Okay, so we think that the Rays have the best farm system in the AL East. At least ten. We're going to right now stick to the ten. Yeah, best ten because. You know, we're still putting together. I mean, I'll be honest with you. You know, we're still. You know, we yeah. haven't all had a chance to sit down and look at everyone's Correct. top thirty. You know, Correct. the depth chart or anything. But so, who do you think has the number two farm system in the? That's a good question because uh, number two, top ten, I would not say Boston. Uh, I would have said I think Boston has a number two farm system in the division. I might say in terms of top ten, it might be Toronto. I like Toronto's top ten. And I would, I'd say I could even I'll try to I could make the argument for Baltimore even. I think Baltimore has the best uh, one through four. That, 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 and that's the reason. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've always said that we would. Yeah. You would prefer to have star potential to depth. Right. Uh, and there is some concern about. I mean, there are some guys. There was in the, one more hitter that Baltimore had that I really a hundred percent bought because I I do like Nolan Reimold. I don't 100% buy Nolan there, Ryan. And there, and, there's, and there are concerns. Like, yeah, you go basically the hitters beyond when you get past Matt Wieters in the Orioles list, the hitters are Nolan Reimold, Billy Rowell, and Brandon Snyder. And there are concerns there. I mean, Matt Wieters is about as the fewest concerns you can have about a minor league hitter. Pretty much. There are definitely legitimate reasons for concern for everyone else in the Orioles list. But one to four with Matt Wieters at one, Chris Tillman two, Brian Mattis three, Jake Arrieta four. 
That's an outstanding top four, and it's really you know, it's hard to find. You you won't find many top fours this year as we rank them that are going to match up with that one. I agree. I mean, like Jake Arrieta is only in high A and all that kind of thing, but he did pitch in the Olympics. He's got big time stuff. Uh, college pitcher with some polish. Uh, he's still only twenty two years old. Uh, he's got uh, a lot of good things going for him. Brian Mattis hasn't made his debut in a full season league yet, but he is in the Arizona Fall League, and he's certainly not embarrassing himself out there. He's been he's been pretty solid. Chris Tillman. Youngest guy in the Eastern League, basically. And Thank I, I you, Seattle Mariners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that top four. And Matt Wieters, as we said, is at worst he's number two in the that you know, probably in the uh, top hundred when we rolled out. The thing I like about Toronto's list is uh, again Toronto's got well. First of all, they have a. I, I just like the variety they have. They have some left-handed pitching. Uh, actually, they don't even have a right-handed pitcher in their top ten. They have a lot of left-handed pitching. They have some left-handed power bats. They have some right-handed power bats. Some guys who are close to the big leagues, like a Travis Snyder. He's already in the majors, obviously. Uh, Brett Cecil, who had success, double-A AA and triple-A. And they have some guys uh, down the line, a little bit lower levels. Uh, and I I also confess a secret uh, Brad Mills uh, man crush, prospect crush. Yeah, I see, loved him in Arizona in the draft and uh, really like him as a pro uh, the season see, that he had. See, you know, the argument I make for the Orioles over the Blue Jays, and I, I do think, I think the Blue Jays list is much improved over what it was a couple of years ago. Um, but if I was knocking it, you know, comparing it to the, uh, to the, the Orioles, Orioles. The, the Orioles' top four is definitely strong, and we said, yeah, no you know, doubt. there's no doubt about that. But you also have in the in the Blue Jays' list, you have some guys who there are some legitimate, you know, like Ricky Romero's number eight. You know, Ricky Romero, who forever will be trying to, yeah. you know, just don't remind me that I was, you know, a, a high first round pick. You know, please, you know, don't don't remind everyone who could have been drafted in front of yeah, me. Exactly. You know, oh, do you need a shortstop? Right. Um, <laughs> but. That being said, like, you know, Ricky Romero is, at, at this point, I mean, there's a lot of questions there about whether, okay, you know, is he taking, is that a step forward or right. is he... Well, at, he's still got big time stuff, though. I guess maybe I just have blind faith in his stuff. But his stuff has not diminished. It's always been kind of a command issue for him. So. But the, to me, is is that when you talk about, I mean, he's now, you know, he'll be pitching next year all year at 24. I, not that you can't sharpen your command. But he's had several years here, and the command hasn't become, you know, hasn't gotten a whole lot better. I don't disagree. No, there there's serious questions about him. But I I take him over Brandon Snyder in a heartbeat. I take him over. I mean, I I might even take him over Brandon Irby. Brandon Irby's got a pretty high upside. He's number six on the Orioles system. I mean, Troy Patton at number eight didn't even pitch this year, and I mean, Romero's stuff is all over Troy Patton. So I guess my, okay. again, my main thing is I do like the lefties that the Blue Jays have, and I, I kind of like their bats. I like uh, Brady. Uh, you I'm know. a big JPR and CBA guy. Oh, the bottom line there. And, I, and I, I, you you started that driving that train in the Florida State League where he ranked uh, second in the in the league top twenty. So I, I like Aaron Sebia there quite a bit. I love that one two punch of really impact bats in Snyder and Aaron Sebia. And that's the other thing. The thing with me with the Orioles is as talented as those three pitchers are. I don't see all three of those guys being impact big leaguers. Something's going to happen along the way because they're pitchers. Uh, whereas the, the Jays have a lot of hitters. I mean, I, David Cooper might end up being a DH, but he can hit. He's at the very least. I think that was a very a, nice. I, I mean, he just be, showed up and hit everywhere. He went yeah. hit the same everywhere he went. That's right. I think he's going to be at the very least. The worst case scenario for him is, is Lyle Overbay, your current Toronto first baseman. I think he'll be a little bit better hitter uh, than Lyle Overbay. So. I, again, so, I like the variety they have, and I like the bats they have. So if we're picking a controversial Blue Jay to stick for a theme, I, I would say that the guy who got the most questions, you know, when we got to the chat, you know, and all, was uh, Justin Jackson. Correct. And he, did, he struck out a ton, but I went to Asheville High. I'm going to always represent for the Asheville, uh, even though he didn't go to Asheville High, Robertson High. Uh, but 
I mean, this is an athletic middle infielder with true actions. Uh, he does have that potential. He's raw, but he does have that. I mean, I, I think that he's got – this is a guy you have to be patient with, but I think he has all those middle infield tools. And, uh, Alan Matthews always seemed to believe in the Justin, uh, in the Justin Jackson bat, so I'm going to take Alan's word for it too. And the thing that also, when you look at, I mean, his stats this year, I mean, yeah, he struck out 154 times in 554 at-bats. He drove the that's, ball for a high school shortstop in that, his first That's the year. concern. But the thing you have to remember is this is the Midwest League. Yep. When you are thinking Midwest League, think basically run it through like the 1968 Big Leagues filter. I mean, that's what you're <laughs> right. looking at is that numbers that look bad, and his numbers don't even look good for the Midwest League, but when you consider his age, when you consider – Middle infielder. I'm pretty positive he's above league average with a 740 OPS. I'm pretty you know, positive that's, he's above league average. It's not as bad as it looks if you just go, wow, he hit 238. Wow, he struck out a lot. That's, you know, and we've seen it. I mean, we've seen, you know, guys, you know, basically have what look like mediocre years in the Midwest League and then they break out. Yeah. Well, doesn't ever hurt the guys. Not in their case, but you know, especially guys who go to Midwest League and then go to the Cal League next year. Right, that's right. It's got to be like, wow, I'm hitting a cross field every day. Well, that's the thing. Justin Jackson grinded through the season, and you have to grind through it again next year in the Florida State League. And the the, the Jays really throughout their or their system. I don't know how it has been at AAA for them at Syracuse. Now they're not going to be in Syracuse anymore. I guess they're going to Buffalo. No, I forget where their new affiliate's going to be. Um, but uh, the Jays, uh, it's, it's not a great hitting environment. In the Midwest League, the Florida State League, or the Eastern League for their young hitters. And I, you know, Justin Jackson grinded his way through the Midwest League and, and still was able to drive the ball. So I, I do think Boston and New York are the uh, obviously the ones that are probably the most questions answered uh, asked in every chat we have. Um, let's, let's there are, there are a lot of Yankees and Red Sox fans out there, yeah, and a lot of people who hate shocks. the rank Yankees and Red Sox. That's also Shocking. correct. But, I mean, I think Jim Cowles really did get the most probably reaction of any of our top ten so far by ranking Nick Hagedon. Uh, third on the Red Sox top That 10. was a gutsy ranking. I mean, you can agree with it or disagree with it. It definitely is one of those that, you know, two years from now, you'll we'll either say, wow, that was, you know, ahead of his time or, you know. Well, the crazy thing is that Jim, uh, you know, that Jim went really young, inexperienced, I guess, however you want to put that, with the Red Sox top 10. Nick Hagedon has three appearances in 2008 at low class A, and he was a 2007 draft pick. Uh, you know, Casey Kelly did not perform necessarily well. Uh, Although he's year. actually not even playing the, uh, he he's not even in the same. He, he's a hitter now, and That's we right. probably won't be when we, you know, he's ranking him really. He's sitting there at number six, not because you know of his potential as shortstop. Really. Yeah, it's a very unusual player to have to rank. Uh, Ryan Westmoreland, uh, basically almost all tools kind of guy. Michael Almanzar, uh, you know, uh, failed at Greenville. Old, yeah, even, who's, not even eighteen years old yet, uh, Latin yeah. American player. Uh, Yamaika Navarro, uh, Yamaika Navarro, I should say. I mean, this is a, these are really young guys. I mean, played the whole year at age twenty. You, you and Stomi Pimentel, eighteen years old. It's a, it's a very young top ten list, and it's really uh, one where Jim went almost all upside as opposed to going for some safer. Picks. And I'll say this though: here's the question. Okay, say if you're looking at the Red Sox, I think he went all upside. One of the big reasons was, I mean, they've graduated a lot of players. I mean, let's make it clear here: this right. isn't something where you know. The Red Sox system is a little down from what it was because, well, you keep exactly because all keep those two thousand five draft guys are in the big leagues, right? Uh, Lowry, being, Ellsbury, uh, Bard is not in the big. Oh, Bard's oh six. Uh, I think Masterson was in the 05 draft class. I mean, it's a, but they, they, they they have a lot of young big leaguers already making an impact. That being said, okay, say that Jim wanted to go more less upside, more close to the big leagues. Who are those? I mean. 
counting, not counting Daniel Bard, yeah. not counting Lars Anderson, the not counting up, Josh, Red, Josh the, Reddick. Who else is there? The other upper-level guys he could have gone with are some of the pitchers they had at AA. Uh, Dustin Richardson, who's having a really nice Hawaii winter baseball. Chris Johnson, the left-hander out of Wichita State, uh, who had a pretty nice year, especially the first half of the year at AA Portland. So they, they did have some other options. But, I mean, he did actually do that with Michael Bowden. Uh, Michael Bowden internally is probably not the Red Sox number two prospect. No. So that was Jim's, I think, uh, hat tip to a little conservative ranking there. Um, but like you said, they really don't have a lot of other guys close to helping the big leagues other than really Bowden, who, who got one start in the big leagues, and Daniel Bard. And, I mean, I think that just tells you Jim's lack of faith in Daniel Bard. He's never been a Daniel Bard believer. And if he had anybody who could rank ahead of Daniel Bard, he did it. Well, yeah. also you do throw in the fact that you are talking – I mean. Let's make it clear, and you know, we try to make it clear every year. We do have a bias. Uh, when you're doing top 10s, when we're doing top 30s, we have a bias against relievers. Yeah, and, that's true, too. And the reason we have that bias is, is that if you're not talking about elite closer. Yeah, it's hard to. It's hard to say that, yeah. you know, you're, you're ranking a guy, wow, this guy's really good out of the pen. And it's like the reality is, is there are a lot of starters who, if you move them to the pen, immediately become very equivalent to that guy right. that who's doing it in A-ball or double-A. That's uh, to me, Daniel Bard's worst-case scenario is Kyle Farnsworth. That's a worst-case. I mean, a, a big stuff, not enough guts to close scenario. I mean, that's that's the shorthand. And a little straight, maybe, on Farnsworth's case. You know, it, little... his, his fastball can be straight as well for Bard. It, it could, if he elevates it, it definitely straightens out. And the thing is, Daniel Bard's fastball, as hard as he throws it, as much at times life as it has down in the zone, he can still elevate it, and you, you still see sometimes guys running to the bat rack to get the bat, and even if it's 99 miles an hour, you see it. There's not a lot of deception in, in what Daniel Bard does. But when he has the fastball down and the breaking ball down, he is a shutdown closer because what do you want your closer to do? Not walk guys. Uh, he still walked a few too many guys, especially in, do- in double-A, that you want to see. Strikeouts, groundouts. He's got two of those things da- three things down, strikeouts the, and groundouts. The first one's big the big – that's really been the and big problem the for him, you know. That was the X factor for him as a starter. Uh, as a reliever, he was able to really, I guess, get away with it a little bit more because he got the strikeouts with the groundouts. I still think the guy, frankly, I think I think he should still start. Uh, the arm is just too special. He just has such easy velocity. I'm a Daniel Bard fan because he can get guys out with his fastball whenever he wants to. Um, but command is the is the whole key there. And he throws hard enough that he doesn't even need command; he needs control. He's be able to just put it in the strike zone consistently, and when he's down, he gets strikeouts and groundouts, and it's pretty automatic. I mean, he's he has got uh, the best arm of anybody in these top tens we're talking about outside of David Price, and just in terms of just arms, right. pure arm. Right. David Price is the only guy who really, I think rivals him as just having a just pure easy velocity. Right. That that's true, and the rest of the package has always been the you know no and, doubt and no that's, doubt. I mean, I'm I'm kind of in between. I'm not you know. I'm not the Daniel Bard, you know, believer yeah. that John is. I'm yeah. not as off of him maybe as Jim is, but I wouldn't say even Jim's off of him, but I think he's he definitely thinks like the best case scenario might be Kyle Farnsworth. Right. Best case he might be a setup guy. Well, but as really long as he stays in guy. as long as he stays in Boston, realistically for the next several years, that's probably the case, barring injury, you know. One would assume because it's not like they're looking for a new closer. They they got a closer and they're pretty happy with him and he seems to be pretty good, but you know, okay, moving it on to Hagadone. Yeah. The uh, yeah, that's what we started off talking about. Yeah, because Bard is controversial in a lot of ways too. But but looking at Hagedon, the thing that Jim seems to clearly think here is that you know he th- does believe with Hagedon that the worst case scenario is an elite power lefty arm out of the pen. But right. he really believes absolutely. that he's going to be more than that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I 
Uh, again, he came out of Washington, uh, the state of Washington, in 2007. So his name, he was kind of a pop-up guy in that draft. Uh, I think if he had been on the scene a little bit earlier, perhaps, uh, he would have gone higher in that draft. You know, I think I, I seem to recall there was an Oregon State series and maybe even a game that they played uh, at Safeco against Oregon State where uh, Nick Hagedone really vaulted up high. But there weren't – he just wasn't as easy of a guy to cross-check and for scouting directors to go run in and see. Um, and that that is a reason that, – that can be a reason why you go – 55th overall or whatever he went, uh, 55th overall. You just don't have the right guy see him at the right time. I mean, you hear about that all the time. Or team like, yeah, we like that guy. We could have taken him in the first round, but our scouting director didn't see him. So he could take him in the first round. And that might have been what happened with Nick Hagedon because stuff-wise, he was not the 55th best player in the 2007 draft. So I think a lot of it was exposure. And I think the Red Sox just saw premium stuff as a starter sitting in the mid-90s with a fastball and showing a real power breaking ball. and That's what you heard out of, out of the bullpen. So if he was doing that as a starter, I can see why you get really excited and think he's right. really got a chance to be uh, special. Uh, to, uh, the, the, overused word, but the, special. The one thing I would say, like the argument against it, I'll you know, play the yeah, devil's advocate no, here, is, is that ranking a guy who's not coming off of as in he had TJ two years ago yeah, yeah. and this year he showed he's back, ranking a guy who is yeah. – we're, you know, yeah, he's the throwing off of it, the mound, yeah. you know, but he has yet to face hitters. He's yet to show that he can, you know, that he, his velo's, you know, all the way back. He's yet to show that he can spin off the breaking ball again. Right, he believes right. in it. He doesn't feel like his elbow's going to blow up. Exactly. Can throw all those things. Absolutely. That's hard to rank number three for all those reasons. I mean, yes, Tommy John surgery is something that now many more guys come back from it than don't. Right. That being said, there still are guys. There still are guys who you go, wow, that guy was really good, and then he never got it back after TJ. And you talked about it uh, again off air. I mean, the Rays have a guy in Jake McGee who has a pretty similar profile to Nick Hagaton. As far it's, and it's, it's higher up the ladder in that, the one thing you could argue for McGee is but power lefty who's yeah. had Tommy John surgery. Power lefty who's coming, hours. you know, who's just had Tommy John surgery. The argument, if you wanted to make an argument for McGee, the argument would be he doesn't have as much. De- he still has development needs to do, but. That year that he's lost, you know, of development is something where he's lost it already being at double A. And he's had so much more professional experience than Nick Hagedon. It's not even close. And really, so. I think age-wise, you're, you're looking at there's really not. They're the same age. You know, they're, yeah, they're basically, uh, McGee is about nine, eight months younger. Yeah. yeah. You know, so. And McGee is nine in, one, in, the, in, the, in the Rays organization, and, and Hagedon is three. And their profiles are very similar in that you both, you know, I think Hagedon, there's a little bit, you know, Thought you know maybe his, you know he may he may have a better chance of being a starter right. than McGee, which is kind of ironic. He was a college reliever, and McGee's been a starter all the way around. The but majors. that being said, I mean McGee, the same story that I mean the worst case scenario probably for McGee if his arm comes back, if his command comes back, right, right. The worst case scenario is nasty power arm out of the pen. Yeah, absolutely, a Billy Wagner type of guy potentially. So it's the Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel. He is JJ Cooper. Um, I guess and we can on, finish with the and Yankees. And on we go to the Yankees, which uh, is yeah, the, John the one that John did. Well, the thing is, the Yankees actually their farm system is a little bit similar. Uh, their top ten, I should say, is a little bit similar to the Orioles, uh, JJ, in that they've got a really strong top four, five. It's top heavy. Um, you know, Austin Jackson, I think, has got a chance to be a a really solid big leaguer. He may not be a star. I think he's kind of going to be a, a, a similar to uh, Bernie Williams. Not as offensive as Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams had 30 home runs one year, a lot of 20, 25 seasons. 
I think Austin Jackson might be more than 15 to 20. But like Bernie Williams, have a lot of ability in a lot of areas, and he'll probably be a better defender than Bernie Williams. Certainly a better throwing arm. Yeah, better arm. Than, than um, I don't know if he's what kind of guitarist he is, but uh, certainly a better basketball player than Bernie. Um, not as good of a, of a nickname. Uh, hard to get. Hard to beat. Burn, baby, burn. But uh, I think Austin Jackson's got a chance to be a championship caliber first division center fielder. I don't. There's a chance five years from now you're going to look at a guy who's just a completely well-rounded player who really doesn't have a striking, a glaring and, weakness. And the thing about it is, is I think some people, you know, like, but but Austin Jackson number one. And I think the reason for that is, is a lot of it is he's not a guy though that you, if you're a Yankees fan, he's not like. It's not as easy to get so ex- as excited about Austin right. Jackson as it is about Jesus Montero. He's, he's also not who people think he is because you see a guy who turned down an ACC basketball scholarship, and you think there's just going to be like a raw, toolsy, like Tory Hunter kind of guy, maybe, or uh, you know, Aaron Hicks kind of guy. Yeah. The Twins, uh, uh, the, the new the new Tory Hunter in the Twins system. So I'm doing the Twins, uh, but that's just not Austin Jackson. He is athletic, and his athleticism does play. But he's just not 70s or 65. But he's tools. also he's 55s and 60s, and he just uh, he does do a lot of different things. He's 55s and 60s. But he's and not exceptional. And he's 55s and 60s. You know, across generally yeah. or pretty much across the board. Yeah, I'd say the the, the power is probably like a 50, 45, 50 tool future power. You know, 15, 15 home runs, maybe 20. In, in Whereas his best Montero years. is a guy who has. Potentially maybe, the eighty, you yeah, know? eighty raw power. Maybe it's a sixty hit. <laughs> and he has those two tools and spades. The real question is, where will it end up uh, playing? Will he wind up behind the plate? And the Yankees may not need him behind the plate because of Austin Romine. Maybe Francisco Cervelli, who didn't make the top ten. I'm not a huge believer in Cervelli's bat, but Montero offensively has the highest upside, just in terms of just hit tool and power. Uh, not just in the system, but in the, in the top 15, 20 in the minor leagues, maybe in the top 10 in the minor leagues, and you combine the hit tool and the power, you do have to think the fact that this is a big guy. He's listed as 6'4", 225. Uh, he's going to slow down, and right. eventually he's going to – probably a but guy you know who hits what? into some double plays and, and doesn't get a lot of infield hits. So then maybe the batting average is up to 280 instead of a 320. Right. You, you, but you're talking about basically if you're dreaming on him, the reality is, is okay, say he's not going to be a catcher. What you're dreaming on is, is that he's going to be that – Big bat slugger in the middle of the lineup, whether yeah. he's a first, you know, probably a first baseman, you know, and you go, okay, you know, it's okay. Like a Paul Konerko almost type, yeah. maybe a little bit better than that. I mean, Paul Konerko hit 40 home runs a few years right. ago. I mean, yeah, Paul Konerko was, I mean, hey, I mean, I, there's actually very similar profiles out. too. You know, that's I mean, why I it was, you know, basically catcher coming up who's like, well, you know, I mean, can he, you know. Right. And, and you know, and Paul Konerko hit his way to being a, a really good big leaguer. And that, that's actually kind of like in my own head. You know, Canerco's sweet right-handed swing coming up was always lauded as a guy who could really hit for average and became a real slugger. I kind of think that right. Jesus Montero might be but that kind of guy. The, to me, the controversial pick that you, you know, of your top ten, though, the one that seemed to get a lot of controversy was Phil Coke. Yeah, it was actually the guys who were on the who were, I, I put a couple more conservative type of guys in there as opposed to Jim. I didn't put in a guy like, say, a Hiro Heredia or uh, some of the younger, uh, you know, really young guys the Yankees have. Uh, I went for a couple guys who are big league ready in Alfredo Aceves and Phil Coke. And actually, much to my chagrin, because when you put those guys in to go to three levels, four levels, you have less you to write. You can't write a whole lot in the issue. Right, you know? in the issue. So Alfredo Aceves and Phil Coke at seven and eight. But uh, 
with Mark Melanson at nine. That was basically the thing. was like, how can you have Melanson behind those two guys? And the answer is easy. I talked to two scouts who saw all three of those guys at AA Trenton and asked them both, both guys outside the Yankees organization, how would you line them up? And they both lined them up, Aceves, Coke, Melanson. So it was pretty easy. I did not go into that. In the first draft I had of this, Mark Melanson was five or six. Uh, he just so kept on falling. You know, what, what, I think the main reason is that he's a guy coming off Tommy John surgery, J.J., and he showed durability this year. He showed that he did have most of his stuff back, but he didn't have great command. He certainly didn't have command. He didn't have as good a control. Yeah, he didn't walk a lot of guys. He had the stuff where he was able to challenge some hitters, but he didn't He didn't finish off everybody in a, in a situation where you're looking for a strikeout. Couldn't always go out there and get the strikeout. The breaking ball wasn't as sharp as it had been previously. The fastball did not have the velocity. And, again, one of the scouts I talked to had the, the good fortune of having seen him as an amateur as well. So I, I've always been a Mark Melanson believer. I ranked him the last two years in the Yankee system when he had 11 innings pitched or 7 innings pitched or whatever it was with the Tommy John surgery impending and everything. Um, and I've always heard people talk about the great makeup. We still have him at number 9, but Aceves is a guy who – Depending on what they do in big league free agency, he could be in their big league rotation in 2009 as a number four or five starter. I mean, again, depends on what goes on outside. But they have a lot of confidence in Alfredo Aceves and basically talk about him as a better version of Ian Kennedy. That means he should be held in some high esteem for me. Uh, he's 26. He's, he's close to the big leagues. Yeah, obviously already pitched there. I think at the very least he's in the Yankee bullpen as a middle reliever next year. And really Phil Coke's the same thing. I think Aceves is more polished, better chance to start. Coke has been so much better out of the bullpen. I think he's a better chance to be a more likely to be a big league reliever. But they talk about Phil Coke, and again, scouts outside the organization. I had a guy who saw him in Yankee Stadium, and, and it, maybe it's a little dangerous to overdo an evaluation in September. But he talked about this as an eighth inning guy, a, a championship caliber setup man, a left hander who can get lefties and righties out because of the power in his fastball, ninety five, ninety six, and, and, and a slider that kind of fringe average or average as a starter that became a plus pitch out of the bullpen. So uh, those two guys, you line up Coke and Melanson, and Coke has more experience, certainly. But how many guys are really minor league middle relievers or middle league uh, minor league middle relievers or closers and become big league closers? That list is short. How many guys in the big leagues who are closers now are starters in the minor leagues? A lot, a lot more. And Phil Coke almost fits that that uh, template for me. I, it wouldn't be a shock for me if he wound up as the Yankees' closer. I don't, I don't ever see the Yankees, not in 2009, I mean right. long no. range. Uh, they are going to eventually need a replacement for Mariano Rivera. And if you're a lefty throwing 96 with a power slider, maybe you're that guy. So uh, we'll see. But, again, that was – I haven't seen the Seves or Coke or Melanson, but the scouting reports really surprised me because coming in I had Melanson ahead of well, both those guys. And one thing just, you know, as we, as we wrap up, I kind of hope when we do our top tens, there should be some picks in these that are controversial because right. one of the things you know that we're doing is, I mean, we see it every year when we're doing, you know, as we're putting together these lists, you know, we're working on Royals and Reds, you're working on Yankees and Twins, you know, and Phillies and Phillies. One of the things as you're doing this, that one of the things that's fun about it is conventional wisdom that that you know that we have from right. the calls that we've done from everything that we've you know seen and all and heard what you expect going in kind of right there are always are guys who you know that conventional wisdom gets turned upside down and that's i mean that's really what's fun for me i mean that's to me that's one of the fun things about doing this is is that i want when i put together a list there should be someone on it who i'm able to put higher or i'm lo- putting lower than mo- you know than what the conventional wisdom is out there because 
you know what, I've talked to three or four guys who all right. saw him, and it's like, you know what, this year it all clicked, and his velo went up for, you know, three miles an hour, and he's got a, you know, and, and you see those guys. I mean, like, guys come out of nowhere, or guys, you know, last year I thought this guy was a number two, number three starter. If his stuff doesn't come back, he's not going to be anything more than a middle reliever. You see and that, that. And that. And that also happens more, and, and you and I both have, have experienced this. I've switched a lot of organizations, but now this is the fifth year I think I've done the Yankees, and it's the third year I've done the Twins. Phillies are new to me. But you're in your, what, third or fourth year doing the Reds? So I think it's your, number four or five. I can't remember. But it's your first year doing the Royals, and it is so interesting when you have guys who've been on your list for several years. You end up digging a little bit deeper trying to find new information. It's It's hard sometimes to comb through – what information really matters and what doesn't. You don't want to have prospect fatigue, that kind of stuff. But uh, but no, it, it's a great example. Like, you know, okay, well, like I do the Reds. Yeah. And Chris Dickerson was one of those guys yeah. who has sat there on the back end of the list for every year that I've done them because you could dream on them. Right. And you say, if everything works out. But he was like 26 and raw coming into this year, right. basically. Or 26, 26 and raw. Yeah, and, and raw. And he's, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, in uh, 2002, 2003 draftee. Something like that. From Nevada. Right. And this year, I mean, now, hey, you know, there's still a question. He still qualifies for the list. And yeah. I still don't know where to rank him. But you see those guys, it's like every year, and, you know, the, the scouting reports change a little every year. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see him, it's like, wow, that guy had a great 100 at-bats in the big leagues. And that doesn't mean that he's going to be right. a star or anything, but it's like. Or Bradley Suttle for the Yankees to go back to the finish with the American League yeah. East. I mean, I did not rank him in the top 30 last year. He was a high draft pick as far as a, a high high bonus, six-figure, seven-figure bonus as a sophomore eligible out of Texas. Uh, we ranked him as one of the top hitters in the draft going into the year. Then he goes to Hawaii Winter Baseball and was just atrocious last year. I, mean, I taught the two scouts who saw him out there, and they just were both so unimpressed with his hitting approach, everything. I thought the guy was completely lost, completely crushed confidence-wise. I didn't even rank him in the top 30, and Damon Oppenheimer, the Yankee scouting director, told me, you're going to eat crow on, Dan- on, on Bradley Suttle. And the guy came out this year, and not only was he better defensively than most people thought he would be, uh, which was the case in Hawaii last year, but he made adjustments with the bat. And uh, there are people in the South Atlantic League who actually liked him better than Jesus Montero, if you can believe that. So that Yankee, the Yankee system had a lot of talent at Charleston this year. So both the Yankees and the Red Sox, I think, still have a lot of ta- talent in the farm system. It's just at the lower levels, whereas the thing that Tampa, to a lesser extent, Toronto, actually t- Tampa, Toronto, and Baltimore, Baltimore all do all have, have some double-A and above talent. Uh, Baltimore's pretty much double-A, but... Double A and above talent that can help them in 2009, 2010, whereas the Yankees and, and the Red Sox, to me, are really more reloading. But And the thing with that is is that it's different for the Yankees. In the Red Sox case, that's okay for them. That's exactly right. They don't need to reload for 2000. You know, they basically are going to go out there. There's a couple of positions. You know, got what's going to happen at catcher, right. you know, and other things. But and the, and the bottom line is Tampa and Boston's big league young guys came through in 08, and the Yankees didn't. And that's why those two teams made the playoffs and the Yankees didn't. You can oversimplify. I know that's oversimplifying a little bit, but if Melky Cabrera, Robbie Cano, uh, Phil Hughes, Ian Kennedy come through as well as uh, the Evan Longoria's uh, in Tampa and uh, Jed Andy Steins, and then uh, Jed Lowry and Justin Masterson uh, for the Red Sox and Johnny Lester, uh, then, then you might, you know, either Tampa or Boston might have been sitting at home in the playoffs, not the Yankees. So uh, American League is a ton to talk about, but uh, – I hope we covered it, and uh, we'll be back with the American League Central on the next edition of the Baseball America podcast. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Until next time, so long, everybody.
Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 